Welcome to Beyond the Box, a weekly program where dynamic insight and world trends converge. Your host is Teach All Nations director Camille Majdali, an author and futurist. Beyond the Box looks at current issues and global trends from a biblical worldview. Join Camille Majdali as he takes you Beyond the Box. The year is 2003. A group of tertiary students were asked a simple question. What words come to mind when you hear the name Russia? The immediate answer included communism, Cold War, KGB. It's amazing how old ideas die hard since these three things disappeared when the Soviet Union ceased to exist on Christmas Day, 1991. Or at least, they ceased to exist officially. It is time to recognize and welcome that there is a new Russia, and its formal name is the Russian Federation. While Russia, either old or new, is very much well-known in terms of name recognition, the actual nation of Russia is poorly known and understood beyond its own borders. Churchill famously said, Russia, it is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. In other words, Russia is not easy to find out or to understand. Russia is both East and West, Christian and pagan, Asiatic and European, powerful but vulnerable, assertive yet ever insecure. Now, I'm not actually going to address current events in Russia, the reign, or shall we say, administration of Vladimir Putin or of the Ukraine war or anything like that. I want to just talk about Russia itself and that what you see is not necessarily what you get. One thing we can all agree on, Russia is big. It encompasses anywhere from 9 to 11 time zones, depending who you ask. It stretches from the Baltic Sea in the west to the Bering Straits, which are next to Alaska. Indeed, the closest neighbor to the United States after Mexico and Canada is actually Russia, because it's a very narrow chasm the Bering Straits between Alaska and the end of Far East Russia. Russia has a most amazing lake called Baikal in Siberia. It's one and a half kilometers deep, 50 kilometers wide, 640 kilometers long, and contains 20% of the world's fresh water. Though it is hundreds of miles from the ocean. They have Baikal seals as well. I've had the privilege of going to Baikal at least three times, and I never fail to be impressed. It's a most amazing place. At the same time, Russia is well endowed with natural resources, including oil, gas, coal, and gold. It is 45% forest and contains apparently something like 25% of the world's forests as well. Now, we know Russia is big. We know Russia is endowed with natural resources. But also, Russia has had a most turbulent history. Yet, it could have an exciting prophetic destiny too. Under the czars, Russia expanded from a large nation 
into the world's largest empire, stretching from the Arctic, the Black Sea, Siberia, the Far East, and for a time it even owned Alaska, which it sold to the Americans in 1867. Something like seven, was it seven, no, 15 million dollars, I think, I can't remember, but a few million dollars, two and a half cents an acre. They said it was one big icebox, Seaward's Folly, you never should have bought it. But I found that Russian Orthodoxy is the single biggest denomination in the American state of Alaska today. Russian traders were found as far south as San Francisco, even on the north coast of New South Wales, Australia. 19th century cannons were pointed to the Pacific Ocean simply to keep the Russians out. Yes, Russia's imperial reach was unlike any other. Then there's the year 1917, when the Tsarist rule was overthrown by the February 1917 revolution. This was a proper revolution. A transitional government was installed to lead the nation into Western-style democratic norms. These plans, however, were aborted when the Bolsheviks basically had a push or a coup in October 1917. Under the leadership of Vladimir Lenin, the communists quickly used the czarist infrastructure to take control. As a result, Marxism-Leninism spread rapidly and converted the Russian Empire into what we became known as the Soviet Union. Soon, communism spread to Mongolia, knocked on the gates of Warsaw, this is in the early 1920s, and then decades later took over Eastern Europe and Southeast Asia, North Korea, parts of Africa, and of course, the Caribbean island of Cuba. The Soviet Union's greatest foreign policy initiative was to spearhead and support the communization of China under Mao Zedong, which happened and was successful with the proclamation of the People's Republic of China on the 1st of October, 1949. When the Soviet Union disappeared, many of these countries jettisoned their communist governments. I might add that the Chinese Communist Party, known as the CCP, founded in 1921. It was actually an initiative of the Soviet Union. It was not an indigenous Chinese party, although they used of course, Chinese people, like Mao Zedong, to spearhead it. Today, in the new post-Soviet Russia, there has been a transformation, at least of sorts. The very system that the old Soviet Union opposed has been embraced, namely a multi-party federal democracy, although there are challenges with that, admittedly. Russia has a growing market economy, challenges there too. An elected president parliament, Need I say any more? It constitutionally guarantees freedom of religion and speech, although there have been some backslidings on that area as well. It is part of the G20 Economic Group of Nations, at least it was, till the beginning of the Ukraine War of 2022. The Russian Orthodox Church is no longer the state religion as it was under the czars, but it's had a comeback after being oppressed by the communists for 74 years, it has a very highly respected place in society. However, evangelicals and Pentecostals have been legalized, 
and they're enjoying impressive rates of growth and church planning impetus. Of course, the road to full democracy has many potholes along the way. Margaret Thatcher wrote years ago about Russia's recent history. Thatcher said this, The story of Russia is not one of progression or even regression along a clear path. Rather, it is a tale of twists and turns, accelerations and occasional derailments, of integration countered by disintegration, or reform and reaction, all alternatively or even simultaneously in play. As Russia's first democratically elected president, Boris Yeltsin, wrote regarding the change from communism to democracy, Yeltsin said this, One thing I know for sure, there will be no going back. Though it is now considered a former superpower and a seeming shell to its previous Soviet might, Russia has significant clout on the world stage. In 2003, world affairs expert Joseph de Kersey said, For now and in the foreseeable future, America, the world's sole superpower, needs Russia. Needs Russia. Well, you wouldn't know that by the American behavior towards Russia over the last years. Now, this is a remarkable admission, and Kersey has a very strong batting average. He gets it right a lot. But let's focus for a moment on Russian identity. What is Russia, and what does it mean to be Russian? Well, its population is probably now under 150 million, of which 80% are ethnic Russians. But there is something like 185 different ethnic groups, 85 regional subjects, and 21 national republics within the Russian Federation. The goal of Russia's leaders has been to unite and control this large and at times unwieldy nation with its diverse population. Vladimir Putin once said, and again, this was years ago, in the Soviet period, a lot was done that was not very good, but a lot of good things were invented. For example, there is the concept of the Soviet people, a new historical community. It appears the old USSR or Soviet Union did succeed in creating identity that transcended race, region, religion, and politics. All citizens were known as Soviets, be they mountain Tajiks, blonde Balts, or everyday Russians. The Soviet identity encompassed culture, language, literature, economics, and every kind of civil institution. Forcing these upon most of the population was how Russia controlled the nation for over seven decades. Once the Russian Federation became the successor state to the Soviet Union, one would have thought that Russian identity would have been easily recognized and embraced. Yet, the 1990s had too much turbulence in transition to democracy and a free market economy, including a 1998 financial crash. Once Vladimir Putin came to power for the first time in the year 2000, control and consolidation helped to bring stability to the bucking Bronco nation-state. Parliament and the press were tamed into submission. The price of mineral resources, especially oil, helped to give a new sense of prosperity to this erstwhile unstable nation. Russians no longer embraced to be Russian. 
they felt their nation was being recognized as an important force in the world. Russia has some major challenges, to say the least. Yes, there is some form of democracy, but it's very underdeveloped. There's a lot of corruption. The economic outlook is uncertain. The population is shrinking because of hard living, too much alcohol, vodka, tobacco, and so on. The far east of Russia is underpopulated, and the nearby Chinese are happy to fill the void. I mean, they're even walking across the border and settling in Russian territory. It was estimated, due to low birth rate and bad living, that Russia loses half a million people a year. They also have some of the highest abortion rates in the world, with decreasing life expectancy even among men. This is due to the things I've just mentioned, including drug abuse, aging infrastructure, high rate of corruption, I mentioned corruption earlier, limited foreign investment, large number of economically disadvantaged people, and the rest of areas like the Caucasus Mountains and Chechnya are also of great concern. Today, the clarification of Russian identity is being challenged by generational changes, namely Russians who never knew the Soviet Union, ethnic challenges, and Russia's large Muslim minority are changing the meaning of Russian identity. With a heavy hand, the Soviet Union imposed Soviet identity. Their methods cannot and should not be replicated today. Included in this search for identity are Russians' Christian heritage, which is nothing less than 1,000 years old. Harassment, persecution, imprisonment, psychiatric treatment were all part of the Soviet campaign to destroy or at least subdue the church. Vladimir Putin returned the presidency of the Russian Federation in 2012 and has continued till now as a response to perceived Western encroachment on Russia's sphere of influence in Ukraine and elsewhere. He annexed the Crimean Peninsula in 2014 and subsequent suspected Russian involvement in the destabilization of the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. Of course, this all led to the war that began in February 2022. While the West would not step on China's sphere of influence, it is unclear why they thought it was okay to do so to Russia. Poking a sleeping bear is not exactly a recipe for peace. But let's focus on Christian Russia. What does it mean to be a Russian Christian? Russian identity had been greatly linked to Russian Orthodoxy. After 900 years of dominance, this was greatly challenged by Lenin and his communist successors. Persecution of the Christian Church in general, and the Orthodox in particular, was exceptionally savage. Over 100,000 church buildings were no longer used by Christians during the early decades of the Soviet Union. Over 200,000 Christian leaders were killed in the Gulag. One poignant example of a persecutor was Sergei Kordakov, whose story is told in his autobiography called The Persecutor, or Forgive Me, Natasha. And I want to add, no book that I've ever read moved me to tears like this book did of Sergei Kordakov. And I think it's the only book up to the now that has moved me to tears. Kordakov was a highly paid thug in the Kamchatka Peninsula of far eastern Russia 
and his job, which he had in the late 1960s and early 70s, when he was in his late teens, was to interrupt illegal Christian gatherings and beat up the participants. One man even died by his hand because he was so brutal. Then eventually, Kordakov, disillusioned with his lifestyle, managed to escape from the Soviet Union, became a Christian, and wrote the book. One of the people in far eastern Russia was Natasha, who she kept coming back to the meetings despite being brutalized again and again. He never forgot Natasha. Just before his 22nd birthday, he was killed in California. He said to his adoptive American family that if anything happened to him, it would have all the appearances of an accident. The inquest into his death said it was an accident. The Russian Federation declared in its constitution complete religious freedom. It also resisted attempts to make Russian Orthodoxy the state religion, though it did accord some deference to the political clout of the Orthodox Church. While certain subsequent laws have been chiseling away at religious freedom, the fact is that Bible-believing churches in Russia have grown, and they certainly have enjoyed more freedom in the new Russia than they ever had in the Soviet Union or even before. And ethno-religious groups, including Muslims, Buddhists, and shamanists, are reachable for the gospel outreach in the new Russia. Now, I have quoted before, and I'm going to quote again, an amazing prophecy by the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. He said these words around the year 1889. In Russia, I saw there will come a general, all-encompassing, national, spiritual awakening, so great there could never be another like it. From Russia, I saw the awakening spread to many European countries. Then I saw an all-out awakening followed by the coming of Christ. Yes, Russia is the catalyst for revival. Russia is designed to be an empire. Once the Tsars conquered the Russian Far East, they developed an imperial infrastructure, if not highway. The communists used the same infrastructure to spread Marxism-Leninism throughout the Soviet Empire and beyond. Throughout the 20th century, the Soviet Union and the Russian Federation developed an impressive network of international connections, particularly in Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit wants to use the same infrastructure and international network employed by the Tsars. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit wants to use the same infrastructure and international networks employed by the Tsars and the communists to spread the gospel, first across Russia and then into neighboring countries. Once the Holy Spirit revival spreads throughout Russia, there will be a spillover effect to China, Southeast Asia, India, Central Asia, Iran, the Arab world, and eventually Europe itself. Once it happens, as Hudson Taylor prophesied, an all-out spiritual awakening will happen, followed by the coming of Christ. There is another point. Russia, like Sub-Saharan Africa, is on the front lines of jihadist Islamic expansionism. Southern Russia and Central Asia as particularly are predominantly Muslim, with Russia's Muslims numbering, a few years back, 17 million or a little over 12% of the population, though their higher birth rates will soon elevate these figures. Significant church planting movements have happened here, including in the restive Caucasus Mountain region. 
put these two objectives together, push back the forces of religious radicalism and advance the spread of the gospel globally, and Russia becomes a nation worthy of our attention and prayer support. The phrase, Mother Russia will save the world, takes a whole new meaning. Its revival will help point the spotlight in the direction of the coming King, King Jesus, who is at the door. Today's Beyond the Box was brought to you by Teach All Nations, a global Bible ministry with a prophetic edge. For more information about the services and resources of Teach All Nations, or to listen to the full version of today's message, log on to our website, tan.org.au.